welcome to another episode of the Feminist Survival Project 2020. I am Amelia Nagoski. I'm Emily Nagoski. And this is a podcast for anyone who feels that being a woman is neither a disease nor a moral failing. And uh, if you're feeling overwhelmed and exhausted by everything you have to do and yet worried you're not doing enough, we're, we're here for that. Today we're going to talk about what happens when the stuff you like is problematic. And the reason we're talking about that is because the stuff you like, the entertainment that you turn to for comfort, is a tool that we use to get by in challenging times, which these certainly are. The problem is, now that we're all getting aware of social justice issues and misogyny and racism and more and more, we're learning the ways that things that have been taken for granted in the past are actually really offensive to a lot of people. Like it was news to people that the name Redskins of the football team in Washington was offensive. When they changed their name or said they're going to change their name, people were like, what? Why? And it was news to them that it was offensive. So the more and more things that we're learning actually are offensive. And uh, what do you do about that? Do you have to give it up entirely? Can you still enjoy it? And uh, we're going to talk about that. So I think there are three ways that things we like, things that we turn to for comfort and for entertainment and for enlightenment can be problematic. The first is the content. The second is the context. And the third is the personal views of the creators. So we're going to start with the content. When the content of a thing itself is problematic, what do you do? This includes pretty much everything made by white people because of its depictions of people of color or its lack of people of color because a lot of white creators only create content with white people in it. And Emily, can you tell us about the uh, romance novel situation that happened last year when the white author was trying to portray Asian characters? I will put a link to a more comprehensive coverage of it. Okay. But the short version is a mixed race Asian American romance author read a romance novel from the 90s and tweeted about some racist depictions of Asian people and the author of that romance, white author of that romance from the 90s, got real mad uh, about that and... Because she was being called out for a racist thing she did in the 90s. Yeah. And like, raise your hand if you didn't do any racist shit in the 90s. Right. So was there like a... If big... you're white, you should definitely not be raising your hand right now. <laughs> <laughs> like and so instead of being like yeah i fucked up right there i noticed that thanks for thanks for pointing that out that's cool wait i want to go back for a second was there a big uproar in the 90s when the book first came out people people like that shit's not okay what are you doing no that book was forgotten about okay so now 30 20 30 years later here comes this mixed race half asian author saying hey i just read this book from the 90s and it's uh, pretty racist and the author of that book from the 90s says what she does is complain to the Romance Writers Association, the RWA, which is the national sort of professional organization for authors of romance, people who are pursuing romance writing professionally. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of details. Ultimately, she ends up saying that her publisher ended a contract with her because of that. That ends up not having been true at all. Wow. But she's like trying to make her case. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of details. But it leads to an enormous uproar. And basically the way RWA handled it was really bad. I mean, it almost could not have been worse. They 
So let's also say that the author, Courtney Milan, hang on a second, Courtney Milan, the author who was tweeting about the thing, was the head of ethics investigations at <gasps> RWA. Oh, God. Yeah. Is RWA otherwise dominated by white people? Yes. The reason she joined was to be like, we need to do something about the racism at RWA. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so God. she took on this Dude, leadership position. so ironic. And like, and there's a lot of closed door, hidden, ugly stuff. And again, we'll include a link to uh, Smart Bitches, Trashy Books coverage of this because it was very, very good. Right. She was removed from her position and banned from the organization for life. Because she called out a racist book. Yeah. That had been forgotten by everyone else anyway. It's real bad. She was just venting about it on her Twitter feed. It was so bad. That is so bad. Okay. It was it was so bad that I am not renewing my membership in RWA. Wow. Good for you. I do remember that conference was full of the discussion of racism in romance. Yeah. Yes, you and I presented at the 2019 RWA conference about burnout, mm -hmm. and there were a lot of sessions about race in the genre, about racism in the industry. Yeah. Like, there were active efforts to address racism in the genre and in the profession, and there have been for a long time. And it, in the same way that the 2016 wait, wait, election... Wait, 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 let's save this for later. Because the thing number three was the personal views of creators... So we are now separate off into that realm. Okay. And I really just want to focus number one is when the content of the book is racist. Okay. What you have efficiently done is illustrate that the content of a book is never just the content of a book. Yeah. It's also the people's reactions and the way that it perpetuates stereotypes and problematic views that keep the status quo in place. Because people yeah. read these books and they think, oh, that's the way the world is. That must be okay. Kind of the same way Charles Dickens is deeply problematic in a lot of ways but kids read charles dickens and they just assume that this is how the world's supposed to be he's a classic right like ch children the way dickens portrayed the world was not even the way the world was when dickens was alive not even at the time it's not even yeah so it's not a way that the world should be and yet the way we present dickens is so idealized that we think this is the way the world should be. Does this mean that we should never read Dickens? That we should never read old romance novels? No, these things are worth reading, but it is a problematic situation. Um, so the three problems with content that I have narrowed down are content that represents the way the world was in the past and does not present any context to say like, hey, it's the 21st century and you're about to read a book from the mid 1800s. People have these fucked up views in the mid-1800s, therefore you're going to read this fucked up shit. Like the way Mark Twain was presented to kids a lot of times early on, there was no questioning of the content of the book. Kids just thought that that's the way black people were treated in Twain books was just normal. And now they're either calling to remove those books from classrooms or to teach about the context and to teach the way change has been necessary and why it is still ongoing. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So one of the ways content can be problematic is it's, it still exists from the past. And another way is that it perpetuates that status quo. It, it actively says, this is how things should continue to be. Or thirdly, because it actively promotes oppression. If it's actually saying not only should things continue to be this way, but they should actually keep going back in the opposite direction and get worse. 
And there, there's lots of content that does that. Some of it, a lot of it is unintentional. A lot of it is just because people haven't thought it through. Yeah, I think laziness is a big part of creator bias showing up in work. Absolutely. Um, so I just watched a YouTube conversation with um, Cheney McKnight, who is a historical interpreter, and Abby Cox, who's a historic clothing YouTuber. Mm -hmm. And they had a conversation about Abby Cox having a plantation wedding. Cheney McKnight is a black oh, historical Oh, I've seen this actor. video, yeah. Yeah. And a wedding is another thing where we consume something for pleasure. We do it to make ourselves feel good, to bring our family together. It's a kind of entertainment. It's a ritual and it's play at the same time. And Abby was saying, basically, she made this decision to have a plantation wedding, wedding out of ignorance. It just didn't even occur to her. I mean, she was working at Colonial Williamsburg at the time. She right, talked she's about historical reenactor. Right. She's she's talked about slavery for her job every day. And yet she went to this plantation to visit it to be like, this should be a beautiful place to get married. And it didn't even occur to her that a plantation is not a lovely home and a lovely space. It is it's a forced labor camp. Yeah. That has been preserved. Right. And uh, it's not okay. And no one would be like, you know what? You should have your wedding at Dachau. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. At a forced, any forced labor camp. And um, we've made them so beautiful. Our forced labor camps are now so well manicured that we forget that there are places that are, they're soaked with blood uh, of black people. So don't have a plantation wedding. Um, and if you've had a plantation wedding, like think about why and maybe what ignorance led you to that. But that's another example of the content of the thing itself actually being problematic yeah thing number two is the context so things like labor practices of when they filmed a movie did they use union labor were animals harmed in the filming of this movie did they exploit children in the making of this movie there is a movie now that's very controversial mignon or mignonette i forget what it's called it's on netflix and it explores the hypersexualization of tweens and in it, they have apparently depictions of tweens being hypersexualized. And like, I don't know, I haven't seen, I'm not going to judge it based on that. But um, apparently one of the posters definitely hypersexualized the teens. And it was like... It participates in the thing they're telling a story about. Right. And if you're going to criticize a thing, don't participate in that thing. Yeah. And let me say, as a sex educator, I know precisely how difficult it is to do that, to critique sexual abuse and objectification and violence mm -hmm. how important it is to do uh, and how it's a specialized skill right i had the same response to the book three women in 2018 or 19 whatever year we went to rwa uh this book three women by lisa Tadeo came out and it tells the story of three women's sort of sexual histories uh, and they're all three very unhappy dark kind of stories mm -hmm. including an awful lot of sexual violence including the repeated sexual assault by an adult of a minor and it's presented in a way that i think the author intended to be neutral but the result is that anybody who has the least inclination to read it pornographically can oh. yeah yeah i stopped halfway through because i like i couldn't take it anymore yeah so and and let's make sure i'm clear that not everyone who read the book experienced it that way because most of the people reading the book have not committed their lives to uprooting these dynamics in the mm -hmm. culture and they don't even notice these dynamics in the culture. It is incredibly difficult to do 
the storytelling around these issues without participating in the narrative. Yeah, but it's necessary to do, but people don't even try usually. Yeah, it doesn't occur to them that they need to try. Yeah, they think that just by telling the story, by right. telling the truth, they're inherently countering the narrative, and that is no. not at all true. No, yeah. Usually when they're just telling the story, the means of storytelling are so deeply rooted in our assumptions and expectations that they instead perpetuate the thing that they're criticizing. Yeah. Yeah. So Mulan is also controversial right now because it filmed in the Xinjiang province where genocide is taking place. So people are boycotting, well, also because of the you know, personal views of the creators that comes next. But let's focus now on just the Xinjiang problem. Some people are boycotting for the reason that it supports the Chinese government who are committing genocide currently in the area where the film was uh, filmed. And that is problematic. Do you support that corporation as a decision? Are you going to send them 30 bucks to say, yes, I approve of that? Are you going to watch Mulan? No, you're not going to watch Mulan. No, I don't give a shit about Mulan. Okay. There's something else about Mulan. Oh, Mulan also goes back to content. Again, I have not watched Mulan. I talked to my friend Allegra. Remember Allegra? We talked to her. Mm -hmm. She's a martial arts practitioner. So she watched Mulan, she said, for two reasons. Because she loves kung fu movies. She loves martial arts movies. She's way into martial arts fighting in movies. She thinks it's really entertaining and fun. So that's her jam. And number two, because in academia in particular, we are seeing a lot of racism perpetrated against Asian, especially East Asian members of our community, particularly Asian students, are being harassed. And she thought that it was a really great thing that Mulan is portraying in its content, positive portrayals of Chinese people. In the context, if we zoom out a little bit, those Chinese people are fighting for China against outsiders in Xinjiang, where they're committing genocide currently right now today. So there's a problematic relationship between the content of the movie and the context of the movie. But for Allegra, the choice was Kung Fu movies are her jam. She wants to see it. And there is another positive thing that's being accomplished, which is that Asian people are being presented as heroes which does not happen much. It's getting complicated now, isn't it? I mean, this is the reason why you're in charge of this episode, because I don't feel like that's complicated. I recognize that there's a lot of variables that go into people's decision making, but mm -hmm. I, I don't understand why people can't just be like, let's all make our own decisions. Really? Like if, if someone watches, yeah, if someone chooses to watch the movie and they have these reasons, like I love martial arts movies and also... It's important to me to participate in something that portrays a particular population as being the heroes of their own story. And then, like, I come along and I see that, but I'm also like, hey, did you know that they filmed this in a place where genocide is happening and whatever else? Maybe she didn't know that before and she'd be glad to have that extra information. But, like, decisions are complicated and people do their best and they make the best choices they can with the information available to them. I think that too, but Allegra's sort of final thought on Mulan was that it was fair game for people to criticize her choice. Sure. Yeah. And that to to recognize that she's going to get judged and criticized. I think that we can take a step a little bit further and not judge and criticize other people's choices. Maybe gently inform people. I have decided not to do that thing that you decided to do for this reason, but you can make whatever choice you want. Let's zoom out to the personal views of the creators. This is one that gets a lot of problems when 
a member of the cast or a member of the production team tweets a thing that is or is not related to the content of the movie and we say, well, that movie is now canceled. Or when the actual creator who's in charge of the whole thing tweets a thing that is related or not related to the content of the beloved children's series and now she's canceled. Let's talk about Harry Potter. Okay. You have been a Harry Potter fan for decades. Yeah. You read them when they first came out. Yeah. You had to put down the last book in the middle after Dumbledore died. The second to last book? When Dumbledore dies? Thanks for spoiling it. And no, I had to put down the Shit, last book. If people book. don't fucking know that Dumbledore dies by now, Dumbledore dying is fair <laughs> game. That is no longer a spoiler alert. If you are not aware that Dumbledore dies, it's too late. Too bad. In In the last book, when Harry Potter at the end comes out of the pensive and knows what his fate is, I had to like put down the book and walk around the house for 45 minutes taking deep cleansing breaths because J.K. Rowling had painted Harry into a corner and he wasn't getting out of it. Yeah. And I, I had to prepare myself to walk into the forest with Harry. So you're invested. Oh yeah, I had big old feelings. You're not just entertained by this. You, you have a connection to the story and to these characters. Yeah, I had the books like delivered to my house on the day they were released. Um, and I read all day, all day, books four, five, six, and seven. And from book five on, it was really clear that these were also political commentary because this was happening during the Bush administration. Mm -hmm. um, it was really obvious that there were political parallels that felt really energizing and important to me. Yeah. And then J.K. Rowling turns out is a <sighs> turf. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's completely fair to say. Okay, so turfs are canceled. J.K. Rowling's tent canceled. <laughs> so basically, for people who don't know, J.K. Rowling has been tweeting totally unnecessarily yeah. about her support for anti-trans feminists, which is a thing that happens in the UK. And I don't understand why feminism in the UK is so prone to this particular flavor of transphobia anti-trans just like horror show yeah but she wrote this big essay about why because she supported her she's like let me support my argument with this like big essay and the only comment i have made in public and i will continue to have this be my only real comment is that if a student of mine turned in that essay for my class i would give it back to them and ask them to rewrite it so that i didn't have to fail them because they would have so fundamentally have failed to have learned the content of my class. Like it was some really basic mistakes, some yeah. really elementary problems. Your class is not a graduate class in, in no, current research. No, it is a 101 entry level class. I have one class on gender and she made all the mistakes I address in that one class. Like it would have been so easy for her to have informed herself well enough not to make this mistake and not to be canceled and have me no longer donating money to her charity Lumos, which finds homes and returns to homes children who are now in orphanages, right? Like her charity Lumos does amazing evidence-based, essential work with the goal of making sure no children live in orphanages by 2050. And she's doing an amazing job with it. And I'm not donating to that charity anymore because she's transphobic. And what if the children living in these orphanages are trans? Yeah. What is she going to do with them? Is she going to send them to trans, I don't know, conversion camp? Whatever I, they like call it. Like she's not trustworthy anymore. Yeah. It, from my point of view. Yeah. And 
because she has this enormous platform, even though the book she's writing, I mean, they're not perfect by any goddamn means. Nothing is. They've been really important in a lot of people's lives and her following is huge. And she still actively profits from the sales of her stuff. And so I had to make choices about what I was going to do. And what I'm going to do is not buy any more stuff that gives her money. Right. Are you... So that's no more books, no more merchandise. No more movies. You're not going to go to Universal Studios in Harry Potter world anymore? I don't know. If I were going to Harry to Universal Studios anyway, I might still go to Harry Potter world. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't buy anything there. <laughs> I would not spend any money just for that. Okay. So do you think that the main thing is important to do when you reject a creator for their personal views that are not related necessarily or closely to the content of the thing that you really like that they made? Is it important that they're still alive and financially benefiting from your fandom? I am unwilling to make any categorical statement about anything. All I can say is that I have chosen not to give my money to a transphobic author. And I think that's a perfectly legitimate choice. And I understand people who do anyway. I understand all the arguments like that's that's her. Harry Potter isn't her. And it like feeds something in my soul to participate in these communities and to blah, blah. Like I get that. Yeah. And I'm not going to like judge anybody who makes that choice. Lots of people do judge people who make that choice. I know. And I can understand why people judge people who make that choice. Yeah. I just don't, I just don't do it. But I understand, I understand why people have feelings. Suppose like, you know, a trans person is listening to this and is hearing me say that I don't judge and want to criticize a person who chooses to continue investing their money in Harry Potter related merchandise even though they know that these views that she's expressing in public on her huge platform are not acceptable. Like that person might be like, dude, Emily, you need to be more critical and judgmental of the people who make that choice to continue supporting an author who we know to be transphobic. Yeah, I know. And like, for me, the path forward, the path to peace and justice is compassion and patience. And I have the privilege to be patient and compassionate. The only thing I can say uh, in my defense about that is I feel the same way when it's issues directly related to, like, my identity. Yeah. Okay. Views of the author. Yeah. Views of the creators. I think that Harry Potter is a great example because it is such a huge franchise and because this incident took place and it was the words of the creator who, you know, who tarnished it for people. It gets more nuanced when it's the words of a member of the cast, like the the woman who played Mulan tweeting that she supports police brutality in Hong Kong. Like, that's not okay. Oh, yeah, that's not okay. Is that reason enough to boycott Mulan? Is Mulan canceled because of that? Or is Mulan canceled because of the labor practices and the context of its filming? Or is Mulan canceled because it, you know, portrays... Chinese culture in a not super accurate way uh, yeah it could be cancelled for a lot of reasons there are a lot of reasons and there are a lot of choices that people can make and here's what I want to do I want to break down that your sort of mixed feelings about what do I do about Harry Potter you don't have mixed feelings really like you've made your decision but you're aware that it's not it was not a straightforward decision and it was not reasonable people can disagree with me yeah reasonable people can disagree with you 
But that's not how it's happening in the world. Reasonable people disagreeing is not what's happening. For example, let's talk about canceling Hamilton. Hamilton the musical. Do you like Hamilton? Uh, sure, I haven't actually seen it. But you like the music. I know. I know. Yeah. Okay. Do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hamilton is a Broadway musical that changed Broadway theater forever. It was so, is so huge, so popular. And if you told me today that you're writing a musical on the life of Alexander Hamilton and it's going to be a hip hop rap musical, I would tell you that was a terrible idea. And I can't imagine, I don't even know why it works, but it does. It is actually musically really thoughtful. It is, in terms of its self-contained lyrical content, really sophisticated. However, it does leave out all of the pro-slavery things that Hamilton was responsible for. Like, he gave up on fighting slavery to work on, you know, the treasury. And none of that is addressed. Actually, he's shown as being anti-slavery, which he was in the beginning of his life, but then we leave out the fact that all that bad stuff. There's this really awkward, difficult moment in the musical for me, which literally made me physically cringe when Thomas Jefferson gets back from France. And, you know, I just got home, Sally Baby grabbed that letter on the desk for me. And when I was just listening to the music, I was like, oh, God, that's a reference to, you know, Sally Hemings's slave. And uh, in the show, in the choreography, a woman from the chorus does a little dancey do and a little wiggle and hands him the letter and then like scooby doo jazzy dances away. And I was like, no, that was not how to handle that. She should not look chipper and happy. Like that needs to be more nuanced. There needs to be a little bit of recognition of who that is and who they are to each other. No, I haven't seen anybody complaining about that, but <laughs> people sure as fuck complained about the, you know, the lack of representation accurately of how these people were complicit in perpetuating slavery. Um, and also they just don't mention that they're all like responsible for genocide of the Native American population. And I actually, there was a criticism where they called it a Columbus, a statue of Christopher Columbus on stage. It's basically a Confederate statue on stage. It's the, it's the idealization and the worship of the white oppressors and people have paid millions of dollars to witness it. And um, that's all bad. That is, and I can't say any of it's inaccurate. And that's based on the content of the musical itself. Now I wanna zoom out to the context and say that Hamilton created very well-paying very high quality roles for black actors to play. Hamilton created several touring ensembles full of people of color. People are working, well, were working before the pandemic. Performers of color were working because Hamilton was created and was so popular. We're getting famous. Yeah, getting. Like, would you have heard of Leslie Odom Jr. before Hamilton? I don't think so. David Diggs? Before Hamilton? I don't... Maybe. Maybe. A whole storyline was based around David Diggs in uh, Kimmy Schmidt. In, in Unbreakable Kimmy, Kimmy Schmidt. Schmidt. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Where the whole joke was how bad he was at rapping. <laughs> so would you... Would you tell those actors and singers and dancers of color that this show is too problematic and it should be ended? 
and their jobs and this opportunity they had wasn't worth it. Also in the larger context, this musical presented rap and hip-hop and R&B styles of music to an overwhelmingly white audience. White audiences said, oh, that's what rap sounds like? I don't mind that. For the first time ever, where they never would have listened to the music of these kinds of Black creators ever with any kind of their judgment would be like up and ready to go. I'm judging that as soon as I hear it. It sounds like rap to me, therefore I don't like it. And they go to Hamilton and they pay a ticket for a seat on Broadway and all of a sudden rap is okay. They pay hundreds of dollars. They pay hundreds of dollars. And kids of color who are the only black kid in their musical at school get to have a musical that's full of black people to relate to. And kids who love rap all of a sudden, their friends are singing this musical that's full of rap, and now they're relating to them in a way that's new, because music can do that. It can open up people's minds, not just to other music, but to other people who identify as belonging to a culture of that music. Does this outweigh the fact that Hamilton, the content of Hamilton, is problematic? This falls under the category of like it portraying history without any questions, and even kind of inaccurately making people who were problematic seem less problematic. Now, it does portray Hamilton as a womanizer, so yay for that accurate storytelling and not backing off of that. However, the other problems still exist. Do we cancel Hamilton because of that problem of the racism, when actually what's going on here today right now in our world is that people of color are being lifted up and celebrated? And their culture and their music is being lifted up and celebrated in ways that probably nothing else could have done. Nothing but a Broadway musical could have brought rap to that many white people. I think that's worth it. Do, 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 do. Thomas said. That's from the uh, cabinet debate. Anyway, so it's, it's complicated and it's problematic. Do I agree that uh, Hamilton is not without flaw? I do. I do. Do I? Now, because I'm a professional musician, I have a particularly close connection to the idea that it's providing, it's, it's, an, it's work that's providing jobs to people in theaters in New York City and all around, eventually around the world. But, you know, when Broadway was open around the country, if you're going to employ performers of color, they don't get those chances much. People of color don't get cast in roles. Even in roles where the race of the person doesn't matter, directors are so closed-minded they can't envision an Asian person playing a character named Susan. Because people are that dumb. It happens all the time. It's mostly noteworthy when it happens, right? It's mostly noteworthy. It's an exception to the rule when when an, a, director is, a casting director is able to look past, you know, a person's racial identifiers and see a human being who is universal and identifiable. Like some of the Matildas were kids of color. Exactly. And it was, the, when I saw Matilda, uh, it was an Asian girl whose name I now forget because who remembers names if they don't sell the program. And she was great. Oh, yeah. She was amazing. Oh, yeah. And it does not matter. And my favorite Matilda is Zara's Angel, who's, if you look for her naughty on yeah. YouTube, yeah, yeah. her eyebrow, <laughs> just it makes me crazy how great she is. Yeah. 
Yeah. And how, like, one of the things about the way Matilda's costumed is her hair has to be a mess because she's neglected. Mm -hmm. And um, the way they do a black Matilda's hair is necessarily different from the way they do a white girl Matilda's hair. And they put the effort and care in to make sure that they're dealing with her hair in a way that is relevant to what her hair actually is. It's great. They do such a good job with her. Right. Instead of just trying to treat her like... Instead of just trying to make her hair like long and shaggy, they give her an enormous fro. (laughs) That's cool. That's fun. It's great. And specific. I love I love when artistic decisions are specific. That's my favorite thing of all time. Okay. So hopefully I've broken down how complicated these choices are, whether there is financial support for someone and you think that boycotting will be either a statement that you make or could actually hurt them in the end. Here's the message I want to communicate about this stuff. Everybody's making these decisions and there are so many variables. And I think what's happening in the world is that people are latching onto one variable. J.K. Rowling is a turf. Therefore, Harry Potter's canceled. Well, I had two students (laughs) tell me this week, Emma Watson is the reason they learned about feminism. Yeah. On the one hand, J.K. Rowling, definitely turf. And on the other hand, Harry Potter and the star it made of Emma Watson is how two of your students learned what feminism even is. Yeah. And now they know what turfs are, too. Yep. Yep. They've been exposed to, like, the whole conversation, the debate, if such as there is, about anti-trans feminism. Yeah. And uh, would we have had the chance to hear from Emma Watson and her her genius and brilliant means of communicating about feminism to a broad audience and would she appeal to a broad audience the way that she does if she hadn't had harry potter if she weren't hermione granger right if she weren't hermione granger would she be able to do that work and she is doing that work let's also be clear that jk rowling was super supportive of uh black hermione in the stage play made of the harry potter series yes harry potter and the cursed child yes She was like, here's the description of Hermione. Nothing in this says she can't be black. Yeah. And people were mad. And she was like, fuck you. Because people are complicated. People are complicated. Right. So there are a lot of variables. And for every bad thing that something accomplishes, it might also be accomplishing something good. And I think that's especially true of live performances and of movies and things that require large ensembles to create. Mm-hmm. It's less nuanced when it's just a book that is only a book. But when it's Harry Potter, where it's a book and it's merchandise and it's a fucking theme park. And a series of eight movies. And a series of eight movies. Big box office movies. That said, there's a lot of variables. And for every good thing or bad thing that exists, there might be something else that matters to someone else. And it really is important to consider what the priorities are in order to make your choice of whether you're going to participate in this thing that is problematic. And it's very hard to remember when you've chosen your priorities that somebody else is going to choose different priorities. And I'm here to propose that that's okay. Somebody else can choose different priorities. That it's okay that other people choose different priorities, not that it's okay to forget that other people are going to have different priorities. Oh, yeah. No, it's okay to have different priorities. It's okay that people have chosen a different path from you. That's okay. And it's hard, I think, for people to remember because when something hurts us, when there's racism, when there's transphobia in a thing, when there's, um, you know, a communist regime committing genocide, that's a really 
like it hurts us to know that that exists in the world and we want to lash out as hard as we can. And the fact that someone's not willing to fight with you, that they value something else so that they're just not going to fight with you, that can be really enraging. And uh, I invite you to turn toward that feeling with kindness and compassion. (laughs) (laughs) I'm afraid that's the only thing you can do. Yeah. I've been reading about fascism a lot lately. I've been reading a lot of books about fascism. And here's the thing I know. The ultimate anti-fascist thing to do is be able to have a conversation about disagreements. Democracy is the conversation we have. Yeah, that's great. And when the conversation is, you're not allowed to say this about this thing, that's, I think, not okay. I think we need to be able to have the conversation. J.K. Rowling is allowed to say this stupid shit. She's a human being and she gets to be wrong. Maybe someday she'll learn. But Emma Watson's also allowed to say... I thought that too. And then I read her essay and I was like, oh no, she's uh, she's down the road. Oh, she's never going to change this her is, mind? She's She has lost contact with the truth. Oh dear. Yeah. Well, you know what? That is also, unfortunately, one of the things that human beings do and she is still worthy of love. Yeah. That doesn't mean I have to give her any of my money. Yeah. And that's the thing. And that's your choice. I have a shelf full of my Harry Potter stuff. I have copies of all the books, and I do mean all the books, including Quidditch Through the Ages and the, yeah. the book about magical creatures. Um, and I also have an interactive wand from the park mm-hmm. where you cast spells in the windows, and I have a ceramic chocolate frog box mm-hmm. all on one shelf. It is the lower right-hand shelf hidden behind another bookshelf that I have been put in front of that shelf. Yeah. I still have it. That's like money I've spent. I own a number of the movies. But you're not going to go out and burn those books now. No, I'll probably end up giving them to my nieces. There are people who have thought that this is a book burning situation. That's what this calls for. But there are also people who are like, Harry Potter changed my life. Well, that's just bad for the environment. People need to recycle them. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The point is... Like, if you don't want to own the books, don't own the books anymore. Donate them to charity. But then some other kid is going to read them and they're going to start to be fans of J.K. Rowling. And you're just perpetuating the whole thing. How dare you say that someone else should read this book? I'm not saying someone else should read the book. Well, when you donate to charity, you're giving it to somebody else. You think nobody's going to read it? I'm saying that resources and trees were invested in the physical production of that book. You can burn it for fuel and you can fuel your rage. Sure. Send them to my mother-in-law who has a wood-burning stove in her house. And she will use them for kindling. Don't don't actually do that. Don't actually do that. But (laughs) what I'm saying is the choices we make all have consequences. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The choices we make all have consequences. There is one last thing. Let's talk about Disney. Because overarching all of these three things, the content, the production context, and the way people are treated when they're making it, and the personal (laughs) views of the creators, including individual performers and stage workers and also the people who are in charge of disney yeah amelia yeah how many times have you ridden splash mountain four (laughs) i fucking love splash mountain like that's racist as fuck it's racist as fuck (laughs) it is i mean it is not even close to as racist as the intellectual property on which it's based but yeah the intellectual property on which it's based is like theft of a it's cultural appropriation at its most heinous and most flagrant yeah it was a great ride but you ride it and it's just fucking trippy yeah 
I am so glad they are turning it into a Tiana-centric story. I think that's perfect. I think that's the perfect response. And I think Just it's... for the record, in case you want to know, Tiana is my favorite princess. She's the princess with a job. Yeah, she's the princess with a job. Uh, princess and the Frog is also problematic because she kisses the frog because she thinks that's going to mean that she's going to be able to get her restaurant. So she basically sells her kiss to the frog. I think we should I think find she out. kisses him as a favor. And I think there's a little bit of like, come on, just be nice. Princess and the Frog. Let's find out. Because I really remember, I remember watching that and being very uncomfortable. Plot. Tiana, da, 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 the prince arrives, blah, blah, blah. At the ball, Tiana discovers she may lose the mill to a high bidder. She meets Naveen, who, believing her to be a princess because of her costume, asks her to kiss him and break Fasier's spell. Facilier. In exchange for the money needed, Tiana reluctantly accepts. Oh. In exchange for the money needed. Tiana reluctantly accepts. It bothered me. Also, she spends almost all of the movie as a frog instead of a person. Yeah. Well, that's because in general, in in Disney-type movies, people of color are portrayed as animals instead of people. Yes, I know. So, not I know. unproblematic. <laughs> At Epcot, you have, like, the whole like range of pavilions for different nations but then you go to animal kingdom and that's where you find africa Africa. and asia yeah yeah so i know disney yeah it's problematic it's problematic and here's olive i think olive is probably uh, a person in dog form so disney's produces some very high quality content their movies are smart they're well-written. They're some of the best-performed singing in the history of movies. Jesus Christ, Moana. They found a 17-year-old who could outsing most adults in Moana. She was 14 when she was cast. Four, t- four fucking teen. That's just like, yeah. So they... It's insane. And... She's so good. And she's We're Hawaiian. We're talking about Ali Corvalo, both for people who don't know. Oh, yeah. And she's Hawaiian. Native Hawaiian. And is that... Would they ever have found her if they weren't purposefully looking to cast a native South Pacific Islander? Mm, probably not. They probably would have had a white girl. A white adult woman if it's like any other princess they've had. They've yeah. all been sung by adults. Yeah. So it comes down to what do you value? And she's this fucking pro. She sings at the Oscars, right? Oh, yeah. And during the performance, somebody clocks her on the head with a flag and she just keeps going. Doesn't even register on her face. Such that she's I a thought, goddamn rock star. I thought maybe that she hadn't even noticed that it had happened. Because sometimes when you're like in the moment, you don't notice shit like that. Yeah. But you said that she, you, she in the interview after, she's like, she felt it happen and she just went going. Yeah, because it happened in rehearsal. And so she went, oh, that happened again. <laughs> Yeah. It didn't even register on her face. She is a total yeah. pro. She is extremely gifted. And so the quality of the performing, the quality of the writing, the the way they have changed. And I think that this is the thing that matters to me is that Disney is trying. Yes. Disney is super duper trying. I think they are. They are not succeeding, but they are trying. They're not succeeding all the time or perfectly but they're moving in a direction and i think that is success yes like there are plenty of people of hawaiian descent or pacific islanders who have many critical things to say of course about moana yeah about the ways it represents pacific islander culture Mm -hmm. 
And that's fair. Yeah. I'm like the opposite of somebody who can argue against their critiques. No, totally. I feel that way about the Hamilton critiques. You know, when a Native American says that Hamilton should be canceled, I can't argue with that. Except that I come from a performer perspective where I'm like, but people of color have jobs. Which is the opposite of slavery. Have good jobs, are getting famous. Oh, some of the best paying jobs in the world. Right. And so Hattie McDaniel, for example, the actor who plays Mammy in Gone with the Wind is the first person of African descent to win an Oscar for playing Mammy, which is like the ultimate stereotyped role. Mm -hmm. But she is the best character in the books and she is the most compelling performance in the movie by a lot. Yeah. But the character that Hattie McDaniel is given to play is, um, yeah, real racist. Like, yeah. real, real racist. And the characters in Hamilton are not racist. I mean, the characters were racist. The people that they're portraying. <laughs> but how they're portraying. Historical figures. <laughs> yeah. Super racist. We're racist. But the characters are portrayed as race neutral. So... That was my... So it was fucking groundbreaking. It was world-changing Yeah, for her to win that award. Yes. The character, not world-changing. Her performance, world-changing. So that's the difference between the content and the context. Gone with the Wind, just, just I'm going to get this out there. When I was 11 years old, I read it. It became my my favorite book. For favorite? You had a big poster. You had a t-shirt. Huge. Covered t-shirt. in red and scarlet. Yep. yep. I have written four book reports between sixth grade and 12th grade Mm -hmm. i did four different book reports on that one book and uh it took me until college to reread it and be like oh oh wait a minute this might be kind of racist yeah and every few years i would read it again and now i'm like oh this is so like crushingly racist oh my god yeah how could it be that i did not notice this when I was 12. And I know why I didn't notice it when I was 12. It's because I was raised as a white kid. Of course. Yeah, it's because your privilege and your ignorance. The same reason when yeah. Abby Cox looked back and went, oh my god, I had a wedding on a on a forced labor camp. What the fuck was I thinking? Right. <laughs> what the fuck was I thinking? But I know exactly what I was thinking. I was What I was thinking was that Scarlett O'Hara is the first character I had ever seen who was as intense as me, as stubborn as me, she was a spirited child in the technical sense of spirited temperament in children. And even though she was unlikable and I didn't have everything in common with her, like I really loved to see portrayed a girl who was just not going to take any shit, who was like, but I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to save my fucking people no matter what. And like, I just didn't see the rest of it because I was busy being obsessed with this character. And does the racism in Gone with the Wind take away from the fact that the character of Scarlet helped you identify what matters to you about being a woman in the world? I don't think so. I think the impact that it had on you that was positive is worth it because it exists in the past. And also, so there's a YouTube channel called Molina Pendulum uh, where this YouTuber, she's a black woman who talks about how, like, the title of the video is The Wind Can GTFO. 
yeah. a Gallmite the Wind breakdown. Yeah. And she, like, crushes it the whole time. She's 100% right about how racist the whole thing is. Super wicked. It's not just that the the story is racist. It's that Margaret Mitchell was very racist. Yeah. She's even yeah. more racist than the YouTube video makes her out to be. Which is I thing number three. The views she of the was creator. a Smith. She was a Smith alum. Yep. She never graduated from Smith. I worked at Smith for eight years, which is why I know this. The reason she didn't graduate is because she left because she couldn't tolerate that there were so many black students at Smith. <laughs> Like, she was super racist. Why did she give money to Howard University's medical school? It's because she felt like there needed to be, like, a separate... Like, black people need doctors, too, but they need black doctors who need to be educated separately from white doctors. That's why she gave that money, not because she was supporting black people. It's because she so much needed black people to be separate. Like, so racist. So, so racist. So, like Harry Potter, it's a huge selling book. It's an epic movie movie. it's a it's an industry changing movie Mm -hmm. that still gets played on tv length color movie yeah that's a thing and it's and it's a a thing that people still talk about and love and also but and wait wait, 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 and also thing number three is that it also helps people who aren't like other people like shape their identities impactful to children in a positive way potentially and it had a positive career impact it really did break ground for african-american performers in hollywood yeah so it didn't break all the ground god knows content broke some content problematic context actually kind of helpful views of the creator totally totally problematic yeah yeah 100 100 percent so the choices have to be made based on so many variables that no one's going to agree on what the right decision is but I do think that if the person who has made a decision to participate in the thing and you have decided not to participate in that thing, you should be nice to that person anyway, or at least tolerant of them, at least not go after them and cancel them. I don't think individuals should be canceled. And maybe it'll be helpful if you look at the ways that the thing that hurts I, you actually what helps does it other mean people. for something like for um, like because... What's canceling, really? I do want to talk about canceling for just a second. I want to say that, like, shaming and public humiliation, especially for individuals who are private individuals, is unconscionable and should never happen. However, the kind of, like, cancel culture that people complain about, where apparently celebrities aren't allowed to express their views anymore without getting attacked. Like, when has cancellation ever ruined a celebrity? Is J.K. Rowling poor now? No, she is not. I think it's okay. Okay. Do you have different thoughts on cancellation? I just think there, there, the like, there is no such thing as canceling J.K. Rowling. She's too big to cancel. Yeah, like she can't be canceled. And I think really, like the where whatever like toxicity comes with cancel culture is about people canceling people who f- don't agree to cancel the original target. Yeah, that's where that's where it starts to get like the same kind of dynamic that fascists behave in. Cancel contagion, I think, is a bad idea that if you're canceled by proxy, what I'm saying is that should not be happening. That someone who refuses to participate in your cancellation is still a human being and worthy of love and should not be canceled. By someone doesn't mean they have to be loved by you. Yeah, yeah. Although, but they're human beings. Yeah, they're the human ultimate beings. anti-fascist thing to do is uh, metta meditation, loving kindness. May they know peace. May they be at ease. May they know compassion. May they know joy. Yeah, 
So that's where this is going, is that uh, people are going to make different decisions from you. You are going to struggle, probably, with how to make decisions. The people who choose something different from you should not be cast in the same container, carton, category. Why, why do all those words start with C's? <laughs> 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 the fact that it made you cough is just so much fun <laughs> okay just because someone likes harry potter doesn't make him a turf is what i'm saying yeah just because someone enjoys mulan and kung fu movies in general does not make them complicit in genocide can we stop with that and making that assumption or labeling people as their fandom makes them everything bad that the thing they like is that's the thing that I want to say. Don't do that anymore. That's the thing we need to stop doing. Yeah. And instead of talking about what not to do, I would just frame it as democracy is the freedom to have the conversation, to have the disagreement, to have the argument. Yeah. And all we have to avoid is turning the argument into an argument against another person's humanity or intelligence or worthiness as a human. Yeah. You're just talking about an idea. My neighbor has a sign up saying that uh, they support our police officers. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Fuck. And when democracy fails, I'm going to need relationships with my neighbors. And it turns out my neighbors are going to be not anti-fascist. Shit. So, like, I think that's a negotiation that matters a lot more than whether or not somebody decides to see a movie. Right. Exactly. And if we can't turn to the stuff we like, the fun stuff that we enjoy, and let go of the idea that, oh, no, if I watch Mulan, people are going to think I support genocide. If, if that is hanging over us, then it, it taints the power that these things can have to help us deal with the shit show that is 2020. And if you want to have the conversation, we have at least two episodes on how to have those kinds of conversations. Yeah. Our Thanksgiving episode, and there's another one we did this past summer about bystander intervention. Yeah. Like, there are ways to have the conversation that don't require dismissing or belittling somebody whose choices are different from the choices you would make. Yeah. If you don't like a thing, by all God means... God damn it, is this another episode where the answer we spend all this time talking about and the answer ultimately is just, like, kindness and compassion? Yep. Yep. The answer is love. See? So if you don't like a thing, if you don't like a thing then by all means, don't like that thing. But that doesn't mean you should hate everybody who has different priorities and has chosen to continue participating in that thing. They're still human and beings. And you have, you have the right to like communicate with people about why you make the choice you make and offering them information that might help inform their decisions. But then listen to them about why they made their decision. Because we need each other desperately, especially as the dusk of democracy approaches. We need each other desperately. And we also need the soothing things that we like the things that we do the things we embraced as children who shaped us the the books that helped us identify who we are the music that opened our minds to a new culture we need that stuff and if it is problematic it is 100 percent going to be problematic if it was made by white people and it's even a good chance it was problematic if it was made by a person of color there's going to be something wrong with it because somebody's going to be offended you're still allowed to like the thing I wonder if we convinced anyone to just be like, basically just like, be more patient, be more gentle. Yeah. And I, I just don't want fear coming between people 
and the stuff they like. Right. Because we need it in order to stay sane. It's a tool that we can access almost anywhere these days. Yeah. You know what? If you're going to watch Mulan, write some letters to unlikely Democratic voters in swing states while you do it. How about that as a compromise? Sure. If you, if you have guilt about listening to whatever or watching whatever or spending money on whatever, participate in your own governance at the same time. Yeah. Or maybe you're already doing as much as you can do and you're at your limit and you're overwhelmed and you're exhausted and you need to watch Mulan because when you were a kid, that was the first female character you ever saw, like, fight and be courageous. Mr. I'll make a man out of you. You don't owe anybody anything. Blanket permission to like what you like. You don't owe anybody anything to watch Mulan. You don't owe anybody you anything do. to enjoy Hamilton. You're not required to beat yourself up for liking the thing you like. Exactly. And if you are already doing as much as you can and you're overwhelmed and exhausted and this thing that's problematic is going to make you be able to cope with another day in the shit show, you're allowed to like what you like. Okay, that's all I wanted to say. Okay, I think that was probably important to say. So that's it for this episode of the Feminist Survival Project 2020. You can follow us on the social medias at FSP2020. And in the meantime, thank you for listening. <laughs> oh, God. Dude, that's, that's so ironic and sad. The Feminist Survival Project 2020 is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.